welcome to the first episode of Nutmeg Book Drops Elementary Edition. Nutmeg Book Drops is a new podcast brought to you by Librarians Connect. Librarians Connect is a group of public and school librarians from throughout the state of Connecticut. On each episode, we'll be discussing three of the 2022 Elementary Nutmeg nominees that you can check out from your local library. On today's episode, we'll be discussing My Poppy Has a Motorcycle, Catstronauts, and Megabat. We're also joined by Drew Brockington, the creator of Catstronauts, and Anna Humphrey, the author of Megabat. I'm Christina Carpino from the Essex Library Association. Um, so I'm Anne. I'm a librarian at a, a preschool through grade two elementary school in Wallingford, Connecticut. And I'm Elizabeth Bartlett, and I'm the children's and or the youth librarian for Iverton Library. So today we are here with Drew Brockington, the author and illustrator of the 2022 elementary nutmeg nominee, Catstronauts Mission Moon, an exciting graphic novel featuring four brave and heroic cats on a mission to preserve life as we know it on Earth. <laughs> In this book, when the world is thrust into darkness due to a global energy shortage, the world's best scientist comes up with a bold plan to set solar power plant on the moon. But someone has to go up there to set it up, and that adventure falls to the Catstronauts, the best space cats on the planet. Meet the fearless commander, Major Meowser, brave but hungry pilot Waffles, genius technician and inventor Blanket, and quick-thinking science officer Pom-Pom on their most important mission yet. So, Mr. Brockington, I see from your website bio and your background that you have a dog named Leroy, but you clearly understand cats very well, too. Do you currently, or have you ever had pet cats? I've, I've never had a pet cat. I'm actually allergic to cats. And uh, like I, I was the kid growing up that had an allergy shot every week and like four inhalers and, and all that. But my, uh, my, my grandma, my Oma, she had like four to six, it depended, uh, you know, outside cats. And then my aunt lived next door and she had two cats. So at the summer we'd go and, you know, we'd be there every day. And there was just this barrage of, you know, cats just running around and, and playing and, and things. And actually uh, a couple of them, like Ozzy is one of the cats in Mission Control. And that I remember is uh, one of the cats that my grandma loved and she loved to paint. And so Ozzy has like a little homage to, uh, to the cat that I remembered the best as a child. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, speaking of when you were a child, were you, is that when you thought you might become an author, an illustrator? Yeah, um, around when I was in uh, fifth grade, um, we did a, uh, it was a, a speech contest for school about what you want to be when you grow up. And, um, and my, my, originally I wanted to be a pilot, but you know, my glasses was like, that was like, told to me like, oh, you need like really good vision. And I was like, okay, I got to table this. 
And that was around the same time I was, you know, I really got into Calvin and Hobbes and the Sunday comics and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out and I was learning how to draw those and I was drawing every day and my friends and I were uh, like coming up with their own characters and, you know, drawing comics for them. And my parents were like, you know, that's a, you know, that's a career. Like you could do that. Like, you know, Bill Watterson draws Calvin and Hobbes. And these are all the people like he showed me on my, my comic book of all the people, you know, involved in making a comic book. And I was like, okay, I want to be a cartoonist. And that was my, um, my speech was about wanting to be a cartoonist and, you know, actually looking into what that entails. And then that just kind of spurred this, um, drawing fever that you know I have those you know when your parents hold those boxes of all your stuff and you have to move you know move them out of their house like I found like 10 sketchbooks that are just filled with you know aliens and people and you know old superheroes that I never did anything with but yeah I just wanted to draw so right around fifth grade was when I just started drawing and never stopped. So was it difficult to write convincingly more about cats or space travel. Um, tell us a little bit about your research process for creating the Catstronauts series. Yeah, the uh, so the Catstronauts series began as a drawing in my sketchbook. And it was it was really just, uh, it was a cat in a spacesuit who was eating a bag of kitty treats. <laughs> and I just loved that character so much. And then I drew another cat in another spacesuit and, um, you know, eventually I just kept coming up with these little, you know, they kept cropping up in my doodles. Um, and I was, at this time I was working on, I was trying to work on like a, a, a different idea for a graphic novel. And I was going to a lot of, you know, little comic shows and little local art festivals and things. Um, so it was always like coming up with new material to experiment and, you know, just print at home and make my own little books. Um, and when I had these little characters, I was like, okay, let's do something with them. And I made this really kind of simple story about them going up in a space shuttle and fixing the most important satellite, which was the fish finder satellite was broken. And they get out this big ball of yarn and they tie it all up. And then, you know, they're like, good enough. And they, they come back down to earth. So, um, but it, it was, it was the, um, the, the beginnings of that was in there because they used the space shuttle, they had mission control. It was all very like rooted in, um, in our world. Um, and when, when Kestronauts had a, uh, the green light to become a series, uh, it was like, okay, let's lean into that NASA part of it. I mean, I grew up in the space shuttle age. I remember skipping recess to watch shuttle launches in my library. Um, one of the first things I did when they told me like Kestronauts is going to be a series is I signed up to go to space camp as an adult. Um, so you can go, you can go to space camp at any age and like go through these trainings and, um, you know, reenactments and, um, like, you know, at one point I was wearing a spacesuit dangling from the ceiling on a headset, uh, you know, talking to people who are in mission control simulator uh, and we were like changing out the air filters or, you know, things like that. So it was all this kind of like firsthand experience of what it could be like to be an astronaut that um, that I was able to gain from like going to space camp and then bring it back into the books. 
Um, so it's always like that end of it, the space end of it is I love diving into that. Whenever I start a new Kestronaut story, I look into like, okay, what are we trying to do with NASA now? Like what is NASA trying to do in the future? Um, and then also I like to look at like, okay, what have we done in the past? And then is there any, you know, things that can connect to it? Um, that was, uh, so like Mission Moon is all based off of a real proposal from a Japanese engineering firm to build solar panels around the equator of the moon and beam the energy back to earth. Um, and it, you know, it's like billions of dollars price tag, but it's all like possible to do. So that's kind of where I love that. And I, I take these kind of nuggets of things that are really possible and then the cats kind of take them and run with them and then you know, kooky things start happening because of who they are and, you know, what they're trying to, you know, interact with or, or, or get through. So. That's amazing. <laughs> I, I wondered if the, if the solar panels on the moon w was a real thing. So that's awesome to know that it is. That's amazing. Another thing I wondered while I was reading is if perhaps you had children or other animals, and you mentioned earlier that you had your your Uma had cats, and I was thinking, um, I love the personality of your characters and how how diverse they are. Um, yet they they're working together. And um, as you were writing this, did those personalities come together naturally, or did they give you some catitude? <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely like some of them are very natural. Um, and some of them took surprising turns. Um, so like, it was very much, um, you know, stardom with, it was easy to start them because of the way um, astronauts are structured. They each have, you know, everyone has their specialty job. They all kind of have to know about the entire mission to make it work. So it was easy to say like, pom-poms the science cat and blankets the engineer cat. and. Um, and it's definitely like I borrowed, like my, my brother is an electrical engineer. So I'm borrowing some of his personality for blanket. Um, you know, me wanting to be a pilot, I'm kind of taking that same like fourth grader, like excitement about like, I get to fly, you know, and then put that into there. Um, my eldest brother was always, you know, I guess he was like the leader um, of us growing up so there's like some of major meowser in that so kind of borrowing from people i know and kind of inserting them into that um but then there's like there's times when all of a sudden in the books um it's not in mission moon but in space station situation uh waffles ends up you know quitting the team for a little bit because of a, a really scary situation and that was something I'd, i didn't plan on but it was something that you know like like when I was working on that part of the story, it was like, oh yeah, of course this would happen. Like, you know, and, and it was, it felt very natural. So, and then that helped Waffles grow as a character. Um, the same thing when in Mission Moon, like Blanket's love for his Castrobot creation where, you know, he's defiant in the fact that like Majors says, you know, let's focus on the mission at hand. And, and Blanket says, you know, like, but I can't, you know, you can't leave that alone. You can't put that down. And uh, he ends up bringing it with, and it ends up playing an integral part to their mission. Um, they, they couldn't complete it without Ketcherbot. So I, like, I, I, I just love that little 
you know, it's it's such a little scene, but it, it adds so much to who that cat is, which is really fun to play off of. Waffles reminds me of my 10-year-old son. He's always <laughs> eating. <laughs> so Yeah. My um my my dad would always joke that growing up we were on a strict two-hour schedule for meals. So yeah. So your website offers some super fun drawing activities based on the Castronauts. Thank you so much for providing these. What are some of your favorite ways to engage with your readers? Um, I, I really love, like I, I'm really missing the chance to be in person. I, I love drawing with, uh, with people in person. Um, one of my favorite things to do when I would visit a bookshop or, um, you know, a, even a school sometimes is to, uh, you know, walk everybody through the step-by-step -step how to draw something, how to draw a castronaut, and then, um, you know, they get to kind of go around and explain their own drawing, and I, I just love that, you know, even though it's step-by-step, -step, like, kids just take those tangents whenever they see them, you know, and, um, and you know, it, they look completely different, a completely different situation from what, you know, I finished on my drawing pad. Um, and then I love just being able to say like, okay, you know how to draw, let's, you know, you know how to draw this, let's, you know, here you go, have, you know, what are you gonna, what's your thing? And then they kind of, uh, we did one where after I taught them how to do something, you know, someone came up and then taught us how to draw something and we all kind of drew it and um, and they kind of walked through the steps and it's it's just really fun to see those where those tangents go and and uh, you know where they where where their inspiration is coming from because sometimes it's from left field and it's those are always the most exciting you know like like, okay, we drew a cat on the moon and you know my drawing has them holding a fish. And then you've added a giant uh, comet coming right towards your castronaut. So tell me about that story. Where did that come from? You know, and I just I just love those little, uh, you know, I guess backstories that they they give to all their drawings. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. And we love talking about your book, Catstronauts, Mission Moon, and the series. We are looking forward to the prequel about the kittens, the Catstronaut Oh, <laughs> yeah, me too. It's going to be really, really exciting. So I am, I am, uh, I got to see the, uh, the first proof of it and it looks so much fun. So it's going to be really fun. Wonderful. Thank you. Next, we're going to discuss My Poppy Has a Motorcycle by Isabel Quintero, illustrated by Zeke Pena and published by Coquila. So if you want to know a little bit more about this book, it's about a girl named Daisy Ramona. When she zooms around her neighborhood with her puppy on his motorcycle, she sees the people and places she's always known. She also sees a community that is rapidly changing around her. But as the sun sets purple blue gold behind Daisy Ramona and her poppy, she knows that the love she feels will always be there. Oh, that warms my heart. Fun fact. This story is based on Quintero's own childhood in Corona, California, and her memories of riding around on the back of her father's motorcycle. Great quotes. 
one of my favorite quotes from the story is, no matter how far I go from this place or how much it changes, this city will always be part of me. Read on. If you're looking for some other books, like My Poppy Has a Motorcycle, you might also enjoy Saturday by Oge Mora, Going Home with Daddy by Kelly Starling Lyons, Dandy by Amy Dykeman, or Gator Dad by Brian Leese. Let's discuss. While right, uh, reading this book, I remember favorite moments with my Greek grandfather. Uh, we used to make baklava together and I can remember the smells. Do you have any memories or activities that you do with your parents or caregivers? It makes me remember cooking with my dad and my dad and I used to do, um, I used to be his sous chef, he would always say. <laughs> and he would teach me how to cut vegetables or how to level off the flour. Um, and even though I was always pickier with what I ate, I always loved helping him in the kitchen and cooking our favorite recipes together. A special memory I have with my grandmother and her sister, my great aunt, is I would love to polish their fingernails when I was a little girl. I loved polishing fingernails and I always loved giving them a manicure. Oh, how fun. <laughs> Feel free to share your favorite memories with us through email. Let's laugh. All right, I have a joke for you. Why couldn't the motorcycle make it across the country? I can't, I don't know. Why? <laughs> it was too tired. Oh. Two, the number two, it only has two tires. I get it. <laughs> Think outside the book. Here's an activity that you might want to do based on my poppy has a motorcycle. Since we can't visit as much right now as we might like to do, maybe you can have a FaceTime visit with a special family member or friend that you haven't seen in a long time, or cook a family recipe together. The final book that we're going to preview today is Megabat, written by Anna Humphrey and illustrated by Cass Reek. This is published by Tundra Books. This book is a sweet and hilarious chapter book about a boy and a bat, two unlikely friends who bond over loneliness, jelly rolls, and Darth Vader. Daniel Misumi has just moved to a new house. It's big and old and far away from his friends and his life before. And it's haunted. Or is it? We're so thankful that you could join us today. Uh, today, we're here with Anna Humphrey, joining us all the way from Canada. And she's the author and illustrator of the 2022 Elementary Nutmeg nominee, Megabat, where we meet Daniel, a boy who's moved into a new house and gets a big surprise when he finds a homesick bat living in his attic. Oh, and I, so might be, I might be a little bit nervous if I found a bat in my attic. <laughs> <laughs> I might be too, to tell you the truth. All right. So, Ms. Humphrey, what was it like creating a fantastical character, Megabat, based on a real animal? Was it difficult to balance real bat facts with this funny character? Right. Well, I had a lot to learn about bats. I discovered when I got started, um, I was 
inspired to to uh, learn more and write about perhaps after I read um, Silver Wing Trilogy by Kenneth Opal, um, which is another great uh, talking bat series. Um, but I didn't know a lot about fruit bats and I wanted my bat to be a fruit bat. Being homesick, um, he obviously had to be a long way from home um, and we don't have fruit bats in North America. Uh, so I had to do a bit of research and I learned a lot of cool things. Um, like the uh, mega bat, which is the, the name for a fruit bat, can be teeny, teeny, tiny, like small as a butterfly, or it can be great big like an eagle. Um, and they have these really neat long tongues that they roll in and roll out. And, um, and then they're really important helpers to nature because they eat fruit and then fly around, uh, poop out the seeds different places and grow forests that way. So um, yeah, it was neat to weave the facts with the fiction and, uh, and they're really fascinating animals. I love how you incorporated the Star Wars theme into the, um, the book. How did you choose which movie that the characters were going to watch? Oh, I wanted them to watch the older classic movies because those are the ones I'm more a fan of. Uh, so I picked those ones. And I know a lot of kids are huge Star Wars fans. Uh, I'm actually not a huge Star Wars fan. I'm, I'm really into the Ewoks and I can get really excited about Baby Yoda these days. But, um, <laughs> but I did, I rewatched them to, uh, to write books and have kind of a fresh appreciation for Star Wars for sure. So you've written realistic fiction as well as fantasy. Do you have a favorite genre to write? And do you find certain challenges with, uh, with either one? Hmm, that's interesting. I never really thought of Megabot as fantasy, although I guess it is. Um, or kind of like magical realism or something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm more, more into um, contemporary stories, realistic stories. I like, um, I like small stories and not a writer of great, big, huge adventures. Um, and I seem to keep getting smaller and smaller. Right now I'm uh, writing a book that's set in a cuddle, so you can't get much smaller than that. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm uh, leaning towards. Uh, Daniel and Megabat are both lonely in this new city. Have your children experienced a move? Is that what gave you the idea for Megabat? That was absolutely the inspiration for Megabat. Yes, we moved from um, the largest city in Canada, Toronto, uh, to a much smaller town right around the time I started writing Megabat. And uh, we didn't know a soul. We just kind of picked up and uh, took a leap of faith and moved. So it was a, a lonely time um, at first, although we made friends really quickly, just like uh, Daniel and Megabat do. Um, but yeah, that was for sure the inspiration. I want to know what the most surprising thing, and maybe we could all even answer this. What's the most surprising thing that you have ever found in an attic? <laughs> in an attic? Wow. Um, maybe a basement or a moving box. <laughs> no one's ever asked me that question before. Uh, oh, I'm trying to think. We, we do have an attic in our house, so I was sure picturing that when I was writing Megabat. There wasn't much up there when we moved in except like one lonely helium balloon. It looked really haunted. You know like when helium balloons get kind of like half out of air and they just hover. <laughs> um, so there was that. Um, but we also found some cool things over the years like um, postcards from old residents that have fallen beneath between the floorboards. Um, and uh, we were then kind of able to contact them and get those things back to them, which was kind of cool to, to make that connection through a house with other people. 
what are your answers? I'm curious to know now what have you found in <laughs> I live in an antique house and I found an old diary and a baby shoe in our house when we first moved in. So that was really, really cool. The diary turned out to be from the early um, 1900s. Wow. Were you able to contact anyone or make any connections? Uh, we, we tried to contact family, but it was a little difficult. So it's now in our historical um, society library. Wild. I've never seen the attic of my house. I've lived in my house for six years and other people have seen it. It was you know, looked at when the house was inspected and all of that, but um, there's not really a ladder or any way to get up there. So I've never even seen my own attic. So, um, so Ms. Humphrey, so you have, there are five books now in the Megabat series. Um, do you see that series going forward? Should, should we keep looking for more? Or do you have any other future projects we should watch for? I really would like to hear more about the puddle book because that sounds fascinating to me. Is that a picture book? Uh, no, that's sort of for the same age range. Uh, in terms of Megabat, I'm working on five. So that'll be, I'm not sure when, another, another year and a half or so. Um, and then there'll be one more after that that I know of. After that, uh, who knows? But uh, never say never. Um, my puddle book is the the second in a series about a bee and a flea. That's going to be called Bee and Flea. Uh, and they live in a big backyard and they work for the FLEA, which stands for Fenced in Area Law Enforcement Agency. Um, and so they solve crimes in the backyard at a, a microscopic level. Uh, so in the first book, there's a, a riot at the compost heap that needs um, needs to be addressed. So they're they're right on that. And then in the second uh, second book in the series, they're going to attend a, a raging party in a puddle. That's so, sounds... all kinds of weird things that live in puddles. I have no idea. Um, but the coolest of the cool are going to be water bears that are those called tardigrades. They're these microscopic little bear-looking creatures, uh, and they can dry out for up to a hundred years, get wet, and spring back to life. They can survive the vacuum of space. They're they're incredible. Um, so I'm excited to introduce kids to uh, to those kinds of um, cool scientific things. That's amazing. Can you say the name of those bears again? What are they called? Either water bears, they're called colloquially, I cannot say that word half the time, uh, or tardy grades. Okay. Sounds like you incorporate a lot of different science and scientific facts into your stories. Is that intentional or is it just sort of something that happens as you discover these things? I guess it, yeah, it happens as I discover them because I'm just, uh, I just get kind of fascinated. <laughs> um, especially, yeah, bats are so cool. And then the idea of like a whole other, um, there's a whole other plane of existence that's so teeny tiny we can't see it. And it's all around us, like even like in and on our own bodies. I know that grosses some people out, but I think it's so cool. Um, and you're kind of never alone when you think about it that way. So I just got really fascinated. I don't have any science background, but um, just really interested. I think for children, it's pretty awesome to realize how many small things there are in the world because you're always feeling like you're the small thing. And now there are all of these other creatures that you are so much bigger than. Exactly. Yeah. That's really neat, I think.
And children are so open to learning about new things. And so when you are able to incorporate a science or some facts into a, a fiction book, I think that kind of spurs their interest into learning some more about uh, bats and uh, about other other organisms that might be in there. So I think that's, I think that's fantastic. I got to meet some interesting people too, because I obviously needed my facts checked. So I found a puddle scientist who I've got on call and uh, a soil expert. And so, yeah, it's really neat to, uh, to get to learn that myself and then, and then hopefully help to pass it on. Wow. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Anna. And I know that all of the children listening are going to love Megabat and all of the other adventures in the series. And if they want to learn more about Megabats and other types of creatures, they can come to the library and we'll we'll just keep providing them with endless sources of information. Thank you. Thank, thank you for having me. This book is a thank sweet you for and hilarious for this chapter book about episode. a boy and a bat. Two if you've read these books and you want to let us know what you think, email us at librariansconnect at gmail.com. has just moved to a new Next house. episode will feature The Proudest old, Blue by S.K. Ali, Meet Yasmin by Sadia Faruqi, and We Are Water Protectors by Carol Lindstrom. We'll also have an interview with author Sadia Faruqi. You can check out more information about this podcast on our website, bit.ly slash librarians connect. Mosquito problem? Well, bats can eat